We will begin our scripture readings with our gospel reading because we are actually starting a new series this morning in the Old Testament, and we're going to be starting with Genesis 1, if you couldn't guess already. And uh, so we will begin our, with our gospel reading from the beginning of John. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us, your word which uh, creates new life, your word which you speak in creative power. Lord, we pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that it would be life-giving for us. Lord, that we would be uh, in, in tune with and in line with and a part of your new creation. Where you tell us that if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Lord, we pray that as we start this new year, that this would uh, be a year of us being formed by your word and by your spirit. And that today would be a part of that uh, formation process. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> the Gospel of John, as John had spent <coughs> years with Jesus, and then later in life was uh, reflecting on how to communicate just who Jesus is <laughs> to people who have likely already read Matthew or Mark or Luke or maybe all of them. And John says, but I need to tell you some of the things that maybe you've missed. Here's how he begins to tell the story of Jesus, of who he is and uh, what all he did, etc. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not, did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then turning to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul, uh, in writing 
about who Jesus is. Writes this, the Son, S-O-N, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned, we are uh, beginning a new year, and we are beginning a new sermon series. And in fact, uh, what we are going to be doing is uh, like going on a hike. I don't know if you have ever gone out uh, maybe in the mountains, either, well, wherever you might find mountains, not around here. (laughs) Um, This past summer, we went to Colorado, and my kids and I went up to a mountain peak. And of course, you don't start the hike at the peak of the mountain. You actually start at the trailhead, and then you make your way up. And yes, we all had different paces, and yes, they had to drag me along. But there are a variety of ways you can go about that kind of a hike. One is just you plow ahead, and you make cover as much ground as you can, and you get to the top as soon as possible. That's a legitimate way to do it. There's another way, which is you really never look up. You're just always looking around at everything uh, that's around you, and you're just crawling along. You don't want to miss any of it, because all along the way, there are trees you've never seen before, plants you've never seen before, there are uh, animal tracks and you want to see maybe where those lead, and so much to look at. Also a legitimate way. Here's the thing. If you rush ahead and you get to the peak, you miss a lot of the stuff uh, along the side of the trail. If you stop and look at everything along the trail, you never make it to the peak. So what do you do? We're stuck, aren't we? So, same kind of thing as we go through uh, the Bible. This is one of the reasons why we read the Bible again and again and again. And, uh, and as we do so, uh, we don't have to just pick one or the other. We can do both at the same time. And so we can have a reading plan that takes us just straight through the whole thing. You get the big picture. You get uh, from the trailhead to the mountain peak all at a go. Or... And at the same time, we can be reading much more slowly in a particular area, and we can just notice every little detail. (laughs) The reason I point this out is the series that we are getting ready to begin is going to be much more like the uh, sprint to the mountain peak than it's going to be the noticing everything along the edge of the trail. And I point that out because we will be looking at some uh, passages where As we go through them, you'll say, how come he didn't mention this at all? Because that's not what we're doing. (laughs) 
I would love to have those conversations with you. If there's stuff you want to talk about that we don't even touch here, by all means, uh, let me know, and I, yeah, love to talk about it with you. Um, but what we're going to try to do is not just uh, make it to the peak. What we're going to try to do is uh, avoid the risk that comes when we're noticing every little thing, and that is losing our way of the trail itself. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's maybe less since, there, since GPS is around, but for those of you who are old enough to remember the pre-GPS world where you're going with paper maps and uh, whether you're driving or walking and you think you're on the right road or you think you're on the right trail and then at some point you start looking around and you have that very familiar, it's not, not as familiar anymore, but it used to be a very familiar expression of somebody looking around and being like, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> and I don't know how to get from here to there. Um, that happens a lot in uh, Bible study kind of things when we can kind of take one of those rabbit trails and then we get so far off the main trail, we're not even sure how to get back. So what we're doing in the purpose of this uh, particular series is to start at the beginning. Start with Genesis 1 and just put down some signposts along the main trail. We can go off of that as much as we want to, but to try to see what is the story that the Bible is telling. What is the trail, and how does that lead us to where we need to go? Uh, So that's the idea with this. And now, with that set up, we are uh, ready to read Genesis 1. I'm going to continue calling it chapter 1, although it actually leaks into chapter 2 because they added the chapter numbers way after the Bible was written. And I think they missed on this one. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, so we'll read a little bit into chapter 2, and I'll continue calling it chapter 1. But as we read this, I want you to listen carefully. This is a passage you have heard or read a lot, most likely. If you are one of those people who every New Year's, uh, you're like, I'm making a resolution. This year I'm going to read through the whole Bible. And whether you've made it through ever or not, you've probably read Genesis (laughs) 1. And... Even if you haven't ever before, you've already heard it once a day. And so there's a temptation to now tune out. Please don't do that. This is one of those uh, chapters you could read 50 times in a row, and every time you read it, you'll go, oh, I didn't notice that last time. It's amazing, amazing, amazing poetry. So uh, as we go through it this time, I want you to be paying careful attention. If you have something to write with, you can even jot down little notes for yourself. But what I really want you to be paying attention to are any repeated words or phrases or ideas, something that just kind of keeps coming back again and again. Make note of those as we go through. All right. Here it is. The way that God begins this whole Bible In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. 
God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas, the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and, in, and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he, all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Did you notice any repetition? If you didn't, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> it is all over the place, isn't it? It's just 
thick with repetition, and that's only one of the things that's going on in, uh, in the way that this whole chapter is, uh, is put together. And uh, it is a well, well-crafted poem with so much happening here. Um, repetition uh, is, like I say, just one thing. And, and we're not going to get to all of it, but I will tell you this. If you, I would highly recommend this as an exercise. That later this week, you go get a box of colored pencils. <laughs> and you get your Bible or you print out a page of Genesis 1 from the internet or whatever, and start marking it up. Find those things that just repeat over and over again. Because one of the things that is amazing about uh, Genesis 1 is how many of those ideas that are repeated a ton of times in this chapter continue to be themes throughout the entire rest of the Bible. How it all starts kind of in uh, like a seed that's planted in Genesis 1 that then grows and bears fruit through the whole rest of Scripture. Seed, even being one of those words. Look for it in Genesis 1. Look for it throughout the rest of the Bible. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, water, the chaos of the waters and uh, creation itself. These are things that you see over and over and over again throughout the rest of the Bible. And so we're going to look again at some of this right now. Um, as we do so, uh, we do need to kind of help ourselves see this a little, uh, a little better. <laughs> and so in that, uh, look at this next slide. When you think about creation, you probably have this picture in view. And I can assure you, no one who was hearing this for the first time had this in view. This is not what they were thinking about. This is not uh, uh, the way that they viewed the world at that time. And so instead, this is what we kind of need to have in view as we are reading uh, Genesis 1 and uh, most of the Bible. This is kind of the, the view, not that's being taught <laughs> as though this is the correct way of seeing things, but as the way that God communicates to people where they are. Why he doesn't choose to correct this and say, no, 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 let me tell you how it really is, I don't know. But I will say uh, there are a lot of things that we wish he would tell us that he doesn't tell us. <laughs> but he does communicate to us uh, where we are. And so this is more the, uh, the view that people have where you've got the mountains as kind of the pillars of the sky, uh, the vault of heaven with the waters above, and then you've got Sheol, or the place where the you know, dead people go underneath the earth, and then you've got this abyss, this watery abyss, and chaotic waters kind of around. Uh, keep in mind, you know, when we think of waters and what's under the water today, maybe we've seen Discovery Channel documentaries that show us all kinds of fascinating things under the water. They didn't have those documentaries yet. And so for them, what's under the water is chaotic darkness. You never know what might be down there. And uh, so it's just a very different way of thinking about this world that we are in. And if we can kind of have that in mind, a lot of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament uh, passages, will make a lot more sense <laughs> as to why it says things the way it says things. Um, so keep that 
in mind. Another thing is, uh, I heard this, this has been very helpful for me, in, especially in thinking about um, the Old Testament, which is much more Hebrew, whereas we get into uh, the New Testament, you get things like letters from Paul, who's writing you know, in Greek, and he's writing to Greeks, and so you get a lot of more Greek thinking kind of stuff, which is more how we do things as Americans, is more the Greek thinking. But the Old Testament, you have a lot more of the Hebrew thinking. And this is one of the uh, examples that I heard that has been very helpful for me in the difference. And somebody said, you know, if, if you were to ask a modern American Christian, what is God like? You're probably going to get descriptive words uh, that are things like God is omniscient, or he's you know, all-knowing, or he's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. These kinds of things, more scientific term, uh, terminology. And those are true, and those are right. They said if you ask a Jewish person, if you ask a Hebrew-thinking uh, person, what is God like? Instead of using descriptive words like that, they will use picture words, like God is a fortress. Also true but a whole different way of uh, approaching the topic. And it's that different kind of mindset uh, that if we can kind of get ourselves to be able to see it both ways, we're helped a lot in, uh, in the whole thing. So uh, as we go through Genesis 1, keep that in mind. We're thinking in terms of pictures and, uh, and images, and what that is meant to communicate to us. Um, and we'll try to put aside, at least for the time being, uh, kind of our scientific questions along those lines. In the same way as, you know, we love Psalm 139, where uh, it talks about the creation of me inside my mother's womb. It says, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb, and, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're like, yes, this is wonderful. You know, God's creative activity with each person, uh, even from before they're born. And we recognize the truth of that. And yet, I bet there's not a one of us who imagines that God has knitting needles inside a mother's womb and is <laughs> knitting. But we get the image, and we understand what that means uh, for, for the psalmist to write it this way. And then... Uh, when we approach Genesis 1, I think if we have that same mindset, that's helpful to us. Uh, and then as far as other questions we, want, we might want to ask, uh, well, let those uh, be those other things along the trail, but that's probably not the main stuff. So we'll look at what is the main stuff. And as we do that, um, I did want to show you first some of the words that I found, and you can see that are repeated, and you, they'll go by pretty quickly, but you can see if these are any of the ones that you found when we were reading through there. I know it's kind of hard to see, but you get the idea. They're color-coded for you. Um, and there's actually more that I found than they're color-coded there, but I ran out of colors, <laughs> so, so I stopped. Um, But only the things that are repeated are in color. And just if you just see all that color go by, it's, it's amazing. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, one of the ways that this 
is structured and some of the pictures that are given to us. And Rebecca, the pictures you found, I don't know where you found those. Those were fantastic. And I wish I had uh, access <laughs> to those. I made my own pictures several years ago and have updated them occasionally. But these are the ones I'm using. Um, and hopefully these will be <laughs> helpful as well. in just having these pictures in mind as we uh, think about creation in the terms of Genesis 1. So as we look at Genesis 1, 1 to 3, the first three verses, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Just right there, there already has introduced uh, several things that come back again and again. But here's what we're going to look at. These two words, formless and empty. Formless and empty. So that is uh, what things are like at the beginning here. As, as God has uh, begun this whole process, this is where we are. Things are formless and they're empty. In Hebrew, it's tohu vavohu. Isn't that fun to say? Tohu vavohu. <laughs> uh, heard wild and waste is another way of uh, saying it. They're but formless and empty works. It's, it's very good. It's helpful. Um, and so we'll take these two words, and then we will put them as the heads of columns, and we're going to see how the days of creation relate to these particular terms and then to each other. So uh, at first, you know, day one, what do we have? God says, let there be light, and there's light. And he separates the light from the darkness, and light he calls day, and the darkness he calls night. And so go ahead, put that in. Uh, day one, under formless. No, day two, we have the separation of the waters above and the waters below into those two uh, spaces. And then on day three, we have, uh, okay, now we're looking from above. <laughs> That's the water on your right, the beach in the middle, and then the dry ground on the left. So we've got the dry ground coming up through the water and vegetation. So we'll put that in day three. And now what we have, and pause right here, is we see that what was formless has now become formed. It's no longer the, um, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and so you have this kind of image of dark, watery, what? I don't even know. But not by the end of day three. By the end of day three, Everything uh, has a place, but it's still empty. And so we need to fill up these spaces. So on day four, we go back to the light and dark, and in the day we put the sun, and in the night we put the moon and the stars. Okay? On day five, we go back to what we had on day two of the waters below and above, and we fill them up. Fish down below and birds up above. That's day five. And then day six, we're going to fill the land with all kinds of different animals. <laughs> it actually gives three different kind of categories in the pictures I used. I basically just use mammals, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then uh, as the kind of the crowning piece de resistance, whatever, we have mankind created at the center of all this as the, uh, those that are created in the image of God. Uh, there is a sense in which the whole thing has been set up actually in uh, temple imagery and language and that people who are created and put where they are 
are actually there as the image of God in the same way that you would put in kind of these ancient temples, they would put the idol of their God, the image of their God in uh, that centermost place. And that's the way that this whole thing is set up, that God has created his own image, that which is to represent him in this temple of all creation. And so he creates male and female, puts them there. And so then when we look at this, what do we have? Well, we started with formless and empty, and we've ended on day six with the formless things becoming formed and the empty things becoming filled. In other words, we have a place for everything and everything in its place. You see that? Isn't that cool? That's so cool. <laughs> this is, and so when we're thinking in terms of these images that it gives to us, this is kind of how it, it ought to be uh, reading to us uh, in, in our mind as we go through this. So then the question remains, what about day seven? So what's he do on day seven? There's a stop sign. He stops. Well, why does he stop? Is he tired? Now, this is the one we've talked about before is, um, you know, we'd, when playing the game Monopoly, it takes a while to get it all set up. <laughs> You've got to get out all the money and distribute it. You get, you know, get all the uh, chance and community chest cards and all those kinds of things. You get everything out. You get it all arranged and set up. And after you get it set up, you don't go take a nap. But you don't need to set it up anymore. It's set up. Now you sit down to play the game. This is what day seven is. God stops with the creating because he's got it all set up. He has formed what was formless, and he has filled what was empty. He's got a place for everything. He's got everything in its place. And so now it's time for the story to go forward. This is uh, the introduction to everything. It is the setup for everything that will follow. And so he stops. I've heard uh, one person say that it's kind of like thinking about, uh, like there's another sense in it in which it's like um, an artist like Michelangelo creating the David sculpture, where there comes a point at which, you know, he takes this block of marble and he has chiseled it very carefully into this image of David. But there comes a point at which one more swing of the hammer and it destroys it. <laughs> like there comes a point where it's finished and it needs to, uh, you can't keep creating without messing it up. And so I uh, said, so thinking about it in those terms, you know, once everything is formed and everything is filled, all right, there we go. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's nothing left to do or that the story isn't going to go forward. In fact, even in the places that he has filled, he has then blessed those things. He blessed, um, oh, multiple times, where was it? to the birds and the fish, and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. And then to the people, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Like, that's the idea, is that there will continue to be a filling that goes on. But this is the way the whole story begins. And so what is it that we're supposed to learn from this? Yes, these are neat pictures. <laughs> yes, this is uh, an amazingly well-crafted poem, but why? 
Why does God begin the Bible this way? What is it that he's uh, teaching us? What is it that he's uh, telling us? And for that, let me see, do we have, yeah, I think the next slide. There we go. This takes us back to that same uh, Genesis 1, again, all highlighted like I did. I don't expect you to be able to read it from where you are. (laughs) But maybe you can see all those blobs of yellow. That's where I just highlighted the name of God. Or actually the title of God, the Elohim, uh, until Genesis 2-4, where it actually says the Lord God, uh, Yahweh God. But I counted it up, and in, uh, in Hebrew, that comes through 36 times in 35 verses. 36 times that uh, we're talking about God. God did this. God did this. God. And so, yes, there's a lot of repetition. Nothing comes close to the repetition of God in chapter 1. So let me ask you, what do you think this chapter's about? It's about God. It's amazing how easily we miss that. And we think that this passage is about something else. This is about God. This is about who he is and how uh, he works with his creation. And, he, and it's about who he is as to let us know him. This is self-revelation. This is God revealing to us and to his people who he is and his relationship to this creation. And if you think about the people who would have read this uh, at the beginning, you know, if this is something that was written by Moses, then who are the first people reading it? People who are coming out of slavery in Egypt. Yes, they have heard the stories from their ancestors of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they've also been in slavery in Egypt, and they've heard about the Egyptian gods. Abraham came out of uh, basically old-school Babylon, (laughs) And they would have heard some of the stories of those gods, too. They're getting ready to go into the promised land of Canaan. And they're going to hear about those gods, too. And so the question is, well, what is God actually like? Who is God? How does he relate to this uh, creation? Because each of those other communities had their own stories of creation. And Genesis 1 is completely different in how it presents who God is. The other stories, it is as though uh, sometimes you have multiple gods and they're fighting and it's through, it's, it's through violence and it's almost an accident that this world happens. <laughs> That's not how God is presented here, is it? That God creates He is the creator, and that he creates everything and everyone, and he creates them good. He creates everything and everyone by the power of his word, because he is the one who is in ultimate authority. He is the one who rules above all. He says it, and it is so. And he creates on purpose. This is not an accident. He creates on purpose, but also he creates 
with a purpose. This creation is not meaningless. These are things that the people of Israel needed to know many, many years ago, and these are things that we need to know today of who God is and how he relates to his creation and to us as the people who are meant to represent him as those created in his image. We need to know that he created everything and everyone good. That he created everything and everyone by the power of his word word, because he is the one who is in authority. That this world and our lives are not on accident, but he has created us on purpose. (laughs) And that this world and our lives are not meaningless because he has created us with a purpose. I mentioned earlier, there's a lot more that we could go into, but these are the things that Genesis 1 is mainly about. This is the signpost we're putting down here, and we will move on uh, next week as we move forward and we see uh, more about the people that God has created and what this looks like as we represent him in this world. And we will continue to see how some of the themes from Genesis 1 pick up in, uh, as, the, as the story proceeds. But for now, as we start this new year, as we start even this week, we even talk about weeks. <laughs> as we start this week, as we start this year, keep these things in mind. You were created on purpose. You were created on purpose. You were created with a purpose. And this is um, picked up again in the New Testament with the things we read of, of Jesus right here at the beginning as the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. That in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And in Colossians, it says that Jesus is, uh, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's where the story's going. <laughs> That's kind of the mountain peak of everything. To go back to our mountain trail analogy. But we miss it if we get off track. So week by week, we're going to try our best to stay on track. In the meantime, we can talk about all the rabbit trails we want to. <laughs> uh, kind of, yeah, through the rest of the week. But for today, remember that God created you on purpose, that God created you with a purpose, and this purpose is found in Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see things uh, more clearly as you see them. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a vision um, for what it means to live as your representatives in this world. Pray that you would help us as we relate to one another, recognizing your image that you have created every person with. Or we know there's more to the story. But let us not forget this part. And Lord, as you brought everything into creation in the beginning, and we see this theme again and again as creation through the waters of Noah, of the Israelites as they come out of Egypt, as they go in to the promised land, as the church is born. And Lord, even through our own baptism, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk in light of the new creation that exists because of Christ. For all this in his name, amen.